Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Philippians 2, we're going to go from verses 5 to 11. We are back in our series called Side by Side, we just, where we're going through the book of Philippians. We took a break from this. I think the last time we had a message in Philippians is maybe in like October or something like that, but that's all we're going to do for the next uh, month or so. And then in February, we're going to be in a mini-series in Proverbs. We're just going to talk some practical things about life, about friendship, about work, all those sorts of things. So that's sort of what's coming up. But today we're in Philippians and our series, our message title is called, He Humbled Himself. He humbled himself. And so because we haven't been in this series for a while, I just want to give us a little review of the context to help us. And so Philippi was a real place, right? Sometimes when we open the Bible, we read about these places, we start to think like, was that a real spot? Well, yes, it was. It was a real place. It was named after Philip of Macedonia, and his father was Alexander the Great. And so Paul, on a missionary journey, when, if you read Acts 16, Paul is going through Macedonia and he plants and starts this church. And so Paul, while he writes this letter, he's in jail. And so the, the people who are involved in the church at Philippi send Paul a, a nice package to take care of him. And so he writes back and says, I received what you sent. Thank you for it. And then he gives them some advice as a church, how to live as a church and have a healthy community. Now, one of the things that helps a church to be healthy is unity. Unity. And this whole section, one to four, what is going on is that Paul is encouraging them to be unified, to live in a way that that really honors God and helps one another. Now, one one of the ways that a church can be strong and healthy and unified is if there's lots of humility. If there's lots of humility in the church. And Paul wants this. And so in order to help them, to motivate them into this behavior, he reminds them about the person who displayed humility in the most perfect ways, Jesus Christ. See, the entire life of Jesus Christ, from the manger all the way to the tomb, was this display of perfect and true humility. By humbling himself, by humbling himself and serving us, what Jesus does in that act is he shows us the best ways to live. He shows us how God wants us to live. And so our passage starts with a command. Verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, to understand that command, you actually have to go back. You have to go back to verse 4. It says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
See, when he says, have this mind among yourselves, when he says, as a church, have this humble mind, what he's talking about is this mind that considers other people above yourself. That's what he's saying. Have a mind that thinks more about those around you than you think about yourself. And no one lived this better than Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our outline is in a sentence today. Here's the first half of the sentence. The humility of Jesus reveals the God who serves. The humility of Jesus reveals the God who served. Verse 6, Paul says, though he was in the form of God. If you have the NIV, that says, though he was the very nature of God. What's being highlighted here is this equality that the Son has with the Father. And he says that he did not view that equality as something to be grasped. The word grasp could be translated snatched or seized or something to exploit. See, Jesus had everything and he lets all of it go. He humbles himself. And by doing that, Jesus shows us that he is not greedy, but that he is generous. That he is not selfish, but that he is selfless. That he is willing to give to those around him and not grasp. See, giving is not easy. Giving is not an easy thing for us, but the Bible says that it's better to give than to receive. We've come out of a season where all we are thinking about is receiving, 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 right? Christmas, we've kind of changed it from what it really means. But it says it's better to give than to receive. One of the, one of the most selfless things you can do in your life is to be a person who's generous, who is willing to give away for the benefits of others. Verse 7 says that he emptied himself. Now in history, that's caused some speculation. People have asked, like, what did he empty himself of? If he emptied himself, what actually happened? Did he give up his power? Did he give up his glory? Did he give up his ability to know all things? Well, six words in verse 7 actually clear up the speculation. It says, taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself by becoming a servant. Frank Thielman says this, says Christ emptied himself. He did so both by taking the very nature of a servant and by being made in human likeness. Christ did not literally empty himself of any divine attribute. Instead, he metaphorically emptied himself by revealing the form of God in the form of a slave or servant in human likeness. That is how he emptied himself. He did not empty himself of his deity. When Jesus was on earth, it was 100% God and 100% man. See, Jesus shows us that we serve a humble God. A humble God who could have stayed in heaven and said, you serve me. Instead, he comes to earth and he says, I am here to serve you. He goes from the highest position to the lowest 
position. And a selfless love was an expression of his deity. Verse 8 gives us the specifics. How did he serve? He said, and being found, in verse 8, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He served us by, by living this life perfectly that we couldn't live and then dying on the cross in our place. It says that he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That phrase, even death on a cross, is extremely important. See, because the cross wasn't just a means of killing someone. It was also a means of humiliating them. It was a way of destroying a person. One writer says, nothing more uh, disgraceful could happen to any man than to suffer crucifixion. A fate designed for the lowest of social outcasts, there was no lower depth of humiliation. It was indeed a punishment so degrading that no human citizen might be subjected to it. The Romans wouldn't even do this to their own people. And this is what Jesus endured. When I was in my third year in university, uh, I found out that my grandma had cancer. And she eventually died from cancer. What I did not know, though, was that my grandma got cancer when I was in grade eight. And the reason why I did not know that is because my grandma would not allow any of the adults in the family to tell any of the kids that she had cancer. And you're like, why? Because she didn't want us to worry. She went through all kinds of suffering in silence, all because she was considering the interests of the kids, the grandkids above her own. This is the mind. This is, this is the way Jesus went about things. He looked at the cross. He looked at what it would take. He looked at what he was going to suffer. And do you know who he saw? He saw us. And he goes forward. He considered our interests above his own. He's, he was unwilling to use the privileges of God of being God for selfish ends. He considered his deity an opportunity for service. And this is the attitude Paul wants them to have. As he writes to this church who loved him, who supported him, he's saying this is the attitude you are to have, this selfless selfless attitude. And that's the attitude we're supposed to have as well, setting aside our own interests to serve others. But serving other people is not easy. Humbling ourselves and serve, it's not easy for us. And here's some of the reasons why. We fear being used. We think if I just, if I serve and I serve and I serve, eventually the people in my life are going to pick up on that and they're going to start to use me. Do you know that Jesus was used all the time and he knew it? He feeds a whole bunch of people and then the next day a whole bunch of people are following him and he turns to them and he says, you're only following me because you're hungry still. You're only following me because you've you've got your fill of the loaves, he says. Still serves them. Being a person who's willing to serve other people opens you up to the possibility of being used. That is true. But we serve anyway, trusting that God will sort out the injustice. 
It's hard to serve people because it's inconvenient. Well, it wasn't convenient for Jesus to die. When we choose to serve, it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to take time. It's going to take energy from us. But we serve. We give our time. We give our energies. Why? So that someone else can be in the best place possible. That's how Jesus thought about us. It's hard to serve because there's the issue of pride. We'd rather lead. We think there's some things that are just beyond us, beneath us. There's certain things that I just will not do. Think about this. Jesus is the greatest leader that has ever lived. And do you know what you see when you look into his life? Service. That's all he does. In John, he washes the disciples' feet. He is the king of the universe. And they've been walking for days, dirty, nasty, stinking feet. Feet are the worst, by the way. And he gets down and washes their feet. And then he looks at them and he says, I am giving you an example to follow. The more you go in leadership, it's not, you're not there in that spot so that everybody can serve you. It's so that you can serve those around you. The greatest leader to ever live was a servant. See, pride says, you serve me. Humility says, I will serve you, no matter the position. Jesus gave us an example to follow. St. Clair Ferguson says, union with Christ should lead to the imitation of Christ. And so here are some ways, practical ways, that we can serve the people in our lives, in our home, in our family. Give time to the word and prayer. That's when you open your Bible and pray, you're not only considering your interests, you're also considering the interests of other people. Give time to that. How about this? Sleep and take care of your body. Sometimes the best thing you can do for those in your family is just go to bed. <laughs> just take a nap. That is a way to serve and to eat well and to exercise and rest. Just take care of your body. Embrace inconvenience. We've talked about that. Strive for balance in provision and presence. We live in a world that just says work, 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 gain as much as you can, and never mind those around you. The Bible says work and rest. And so when you're at work, you're at work. But when you're home, you're home. And if you work at home, when it ends, whatever time, sometimes I work from home, and when five o'clock hits, Unless there's a massive emergency, I am trying, sometimes I fail at this a lot, but I'm trying to shut that off and say, it's, I'm home now. Provision and presence, work for that balance. Then there's church, fully engaged, prioritize prayer. We want to be a praying church. We have a monthly prayer meeting. Come to that, pray personally, become a member, join a group, right? Dis disciple Help disciple others and help other people help you grow in Christ. Start serving. Every member of our church is valuable and needed. That's what the Bible says. And I'll tell you right now, if five to like seven people, maybe 10 people, just said, I am going to go out that hallway and into those classrooms with those kids, that would make, be a massive blessing to our church. 
If just, a, if just some people said, I am going to help with Hope Kids, that would be a huge benefit and blessing to our church. And when you're serving, show up on time and be ready. Heart and hands. My heart is in the right place, and I know what I'm actually supposed to do in the role. And then follow the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will make us aware of those who are needy in our church. He will give us the courage to be vulnerable and meet other people. And that, that little prayer exercise that we just did, all of us felt it a little bit. I got to be vulnerable here. It's okay. Vulnerability is okay. As long as we are a church where we're saying, this is a safe space for you to be able to do that. Uh, and then following the Holy Spirit helps us to fight sin. Just be aware. Sin does not just affect you. It affects all of us. And if you want an example, just go re read in Joshua about the sin of, of Achan. He sins and a whole bunch of people suffer because of that. And so a way to consider other people's interests is actually to fight sin. To think deeply about that. And then relationships. Is it relationships? No, work. Work. Strive for integrity at work. You want to consider other people's interests? Know your job and do it well. When you do your job well, other people benefit. You will benefit as well. Pray for those in authority over you and those who work with you. Some of us are like, I can't stand my boss. Say that, that's fine, and then pray. First for forgiveness. And then pray for the person who is over you. And then look out for the interests of the entity. Don't just treat your job as, this is just a place that I get a paycheck from and that's it. That God in his sovereign goodness has placed me here and so I'm going to work hard for the entity. Even if it's not a perfect space, this is where God has me and so as a Christian, I'm going to work with integrity and I'm going to work hard. I'm not just going to use my workspace. I'm going to be a blessing to my workspace. And then in relationships, tell others what no one else will tell them. Speak the truth in love. There's nothing worse than a whole bunch of people who's like, yeah, man, Jim is like so annoying. He never shows up on time. He never does what he's supposed to do. And then nobody in that group talks to Jim about it. That's called slander. It's called gossip. As a Christian, we have to be willing to speak the truth in love. To tell people what no one else is willing to tell them. And here's the thing. And be willing to be a part of the solution. There's nothing worse than someone who's like, hey, I'm here to tell you the truth about yourself, and then you figure it out. As a Christian, we speak the truth in love. We say, this is the thing that's going on in your life, and this thing can't stay that way, and here's the ways I'm going to help you walk through that. That's loving. The truth with love. I'm going to be there for you. Bear each other's burdens. Be dependable and be willing to lay down your rights and listen. Again, a, not, a way to consider somebody's interest is just to listen to them. What are they saying? And we can do all of these things through the power of the Holy Spirit, living humble, selfless lives. So verse 6 tells us what Jesus did, and verse 9 tells us what God did. It says, therefore... So in light of all that was said, all that Jesus did, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He is exalted. This downward plunge that Jesus takes is now reversed 
by his Father. And there's a key concept in that. And it's this. Humility always comes before exaltation. Humility always comes before exaltation. In Luke 14, it says, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is an active choice. And the Bible says, humble yourself or be humiliated. That's what the Bible teaches. Pride goes before a fall. Actively choose every day to humble yourself or be humiliated. And it says that, it's, that, that God bestowed the name on him that is above every name. See, the Father honors the Son for the accomplishment of his redemptive mission. And he, and he gives him this name. And now you're like, what's the name? Well, the name is Lord. Verse 11. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the name given. And Lord speaks of his authority and his supremacy over all things. See, human beings have some authority. Teachers, professors have authority. You know it because they can pass or fail you. And a lot of them failed me. Employers have Authority. They can tell you what you're going to be paid. They can tell you what time to show up. They can tell you if you can have vacation or if you cannot. Coaches have authority. You can go in the game. We don't trust to let you in the game at this moment, so you stay on the bench. Human beings have authority, but they don't have all authority. Jesus does, though. Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I have authority up there and I have authority here. All authority has been given to me. And at, when we were going through our little mini Christmas series, I said, Jesus has all authority, but he uses that authority to serve. See, we fear somebody having all authority because we think if they have all the power, they would abuse it. And that's true of some people. But Jesus has all authority, and he uses that authority to serve. He doesn't use us or abuse us. He does what's necessary to take us and put us in the best place possible. He uses authority to guide us into wise and good living. So we're told what Jesus did, what God did, and we're told what everyone will do. Look at verse 9 again. It says, Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the second half of our sentence. The humility of Jesus reveals the God who serves and ultimately the submission of everyone. The submission of of everyone. In the Old Testament, God says everyone will bow down to him. Isaiah, Isaiah 45 says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I'm God and there's no other. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. And then the New Testament says that this universal declaration intended for God is given to Jesus Christ. Again, this reminder of the equality of the Son with the Father. One day, everyone will open their mouth and confess that Jesus is Lord. There's going to be this physical 
and verbal declaration of the, the identity and authority of Jesus Christ, all to the glory of God the Father. You're like, why, would, why does he write this? Well, remember the church in Philippi. They're a small, persecuted church. And he writes the statement to actually encourage them. To encourage them to say, the church right now feels pushed to the side. The church right now feels like it's losing, that there's no victory coming. And don't you feel like that a little bit? Don't you feel kind of small, pushed to the side, almost like everything's just kind of moved on? Paul says, the Holy Spirit guiding him says that one day everyone on earth will gather and they will do what the church has been doing when it gathers, declaring that Jesus is Lord. It's meant to give you hope in the midst of persecution. And confession is actually the pathway to salvation. Romans says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To the unbeliever, here is the door of salvation open. The way to be saved is to confess, verbally declare, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, and you will be saved. And this takes humility. That's what I'm trying to drive home into our hearts, that, that, living, that living our best ways takes humility, that it takes humility for the unbeliever to say, I'm not Lord. For the unbeliever to say, I need a Savior. And when you humble yourself in that way, you invite hope and joy into your life. Now, when Christians hear Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everyone will do what we're doing. When we hear that, there's this temptation to be arrogant. To be arrogant towards the culture. To be like, well, whatever, we're going to win anyway. But that's not the heart and attitude that God wants us to have. See, Paul doesn't write this to the church to make them arrogant. He writes it to them to make them hopeful. And to actually encourage them to live in selfless ways. And living this way is important because we will have to give an account of our lives. See, the unbeliever will bow and confess, but so will the Christian. Look at Romans again. Romans 14. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. Then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We are going to have to explain ourselves. We live in the age of surveillance where almost everything is tracked, right? You search something on Amazon and then the next time you sign on, it's like, notice that you like this. You might like this. Everything is just, it's collected and watched. Well, to be honest, that happens in heaven too. Everything is watched. There is a record being kept. Now, when I first started preaching, I would share verses like that to scare people. I did. Seriously. 
You're all laughing. I'm dead serious. I shared it because I thought if I could scare people, they would obey. Seriously. Some people parent like that. If I could scare people, then they would obey and do what God says. But now, having grown a bit more as a preacher, I don't share that with you to scare you. I share that with you to actually make you excited. The fact that God's watching should make you excited. In my high school championship football game back in my heyday, it was a heyday. <laughs> I remember being at the game and warming up and then looking up and I didn't see my mom and my sisters. I'm like, where are they? And so the game, like the game is about to start and then my mom is coming down the steps with my sisters behind her and they're just chanting, Marv, Marv, Marv. And she has the, like the, it was a decent sign. Just, and she's coming down with the sign. And in that moment, I was excited. You know why? Because I know that at least four people in the crowd watching loved me. That the people in the crowd, those people in the crowd were in my corner, that they were for me, that they didn't show up to watch me fail. They showed up to celebrate and cheer for me. And do you know what happened at that moment? I wanted to get that thing on right then and there. Because I wanted to make them proud. I wanted to honor my mother for doing that and my sisters. I wanted to make them proud. Now, what if as, as, as Christians, we got up and we said, today, I am not afraid that God is watching me. Today, I'm excited that my father is watching me because I want to make him proud. Because my mom and my sisters in that crowd are looking at me and they're looking at me with love. And so when I stand here and I say to you, God the Father is watching you. And the things in heaven are being tracked. Uh, he's not watching from a place of like, I'm hoping you mess up. God isn't standing there saying, I'm hoping you make a mess of your life. He's saying, I want you as my child who I love. I am in your corner. I want you to make me proud today. And if you get up with that sort of attitude, you won't live a life of fear. You will live excited. And so you will say, when I turn on this screen, I want to honor God. I want to make him proud. When I parent my children, I want to make them proud. As I'm dating, as I'm engaged, I want to make my father proud. As I care for my special needs child, I want to make my father proud because he's watching and he is in my corner. What if we had that attitude? Instead of this fear-mongering, God's watching, behave yourself. The Lord is watching, yes, but he's watching with eyes of a father who loves you. And he is cheering for you, if I can say that. He celebrates when we keep in step with the Spirit and do what is right. He watches and tells us to live humbly, so that the day we bow the knee, the day that we say, Jesus is Lord, he looks at us and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy 
of your master, your father. He welcomes us in. We're not being watched because he wants us to fail. We are being watched. We are being helped even by the Holy Spirit because on the day, God wants to celebrate those he has rescued. That is a good way to think every day. And when we live this way, we will, like Jesus, when we live this way, we too will be exalted. Remember, humility goes before exaltation. And Paul knows the motivation for this has to come from the gospel. The motivation to live this way has to come by remembering what Jesus Christ did. And passages like this remind us of that reality. The gospel does this, but also communion does this. This reminder of all that Jesus Christ has done, his humble service towards us, what he's done for us and what he continues to do. Here's what Bobby Jameson says about communion. He says, I eat this bread and drink this cup because of what the Lord did for me when he freed me from my sin on the cross. And because of this past salvation experienced in the present, we look to our future feast with Jesus with eager expectation, and I love this, and sure hope. We have a sure hope. And so our ushers are going to come and pass out communion. Let me pray for that as we get ready to do that. Father, we, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, who has caused us to be a people who have a sure hope. A sure and perfect hope. Because of all that he has done for us. And so as we stop and we reflect and we think on who he is and what he means to us, I pray our hearts would be full of thankfulness to you, Father, for the work that you have done. For the work that your son has done. And God, this is a moment to examine ourselves, Lord, and to confess anything that we have going on in our lives that need to, to not be there. I pray, oh God, that you would help us to do that. But it's also a moment to give thanks, to give thanks to you for the work that you have done. We thank you, Lord God, for your son who died in our place, who gave his life, who bled and died, the song says, to take away my sin. And so I pray, Father, that we would know that our, our sins, if we are in Christ, is as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, that you are looking on those you love, those you delight in, those you want to see honor you with their lives. And so I pray that you would help us, O oh God, to live with great humility, all to the praise of your name and the glory of your Son, who is so, so worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.